Where do we start from in the deeper places of our lives? Just listen to a couple of minutes of Bishop Joe Wells speaking actually uh, when she was a professor of theology uh, in America. What do we do with the Psalms of Lament and what do we do with places of pain? And the Lament, I think, shows us, teaches us, resources us that we can cry to God when God is the only safe place and even when God may not be a safe place. In other words, we can scream at God, we can yell at God, we can voice the injustice of our world, human and divine, as we perceive it, and God will hear. The whole of the Psalter is in our liturgical tradition, but it's curious to me that it's faded out of the church's practice. And insofar as the Psalms do have a place, it's Psalm 23. Um, or it's the Psalms of rejoicing. We're not very good in corporate worship at acknowledging pain, of going to the dry places, of, um, of voicing the Psalms of lament. Psalm 89 is the De Profundis, would be the toughest Psalm of lament, the one that does not even have a vaguely positive ending, but is, you know... Uh, a cry from the depths that go deeper and darker all the way through. Another classic one, happens to be my favorite, would be Psalm 73, which is a cry of a person who feels the injustice, the injustice where the wicked prosper and those who do good seem to suffer for it. To help someone follow Jesus, even to the to the Holy Saturday of the silence and abandonment by God through Good Friday uh, and not jump too quickly to Easter Sunday. You know, I mean, I think we're brilliant in this culture at celebrating Easter, but not at celebrating Holy Week. So therefore, it doesn't go to our deep place of need. Um, so first and foremost, to recognize that Jesus has been there. I mean, that is the resource of our faith. The brokenness the, the devastation, the abandonment, the mistakes can become the resource out of which we minister to others. My sense of calling, whatever that may be, to be a professor, to be a priest, has to do with, it's not only about, but includes the places of pain in my own life. And indeed, I don't think it's a sequential process. I am healed and therefore I can function pastorally for somebody else I think it's as I'm functioning pastorally for someone else I realize that God is doing something in me. God's grace reaches us as we minister God's grace to others and that is my picture of healing Our reading this morning is Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27 In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Now you've heard 
many, many times in this series so far that this is a series looking at Romans 8, how we might move from the if-only places in our lives of regret to the what-if places of creative potential and possibility. And in today's passage, Paul gives the link between the what-ifs, and the if-onlys and the what-ifs. What is the thing that's going to move us on to those creative possibilities? And Paul says it's, it's simply one word, and that word is prayer. And immediately uh, within me, fear of failure, imposter syndrome, all that sort of stuff rises up and makes me say, what right have I got to talk about prayer this morning? Because I guess if I look back over my life, uh, one of the regrets that I have is that I wish I'd prayed more. And maybe if I'd prayed more, I may have done differently or even done less. Do you know, I I thought I was a a model husband (laughs) until someone pointed out that a model is a very small example of the real thing. (laughs) So I thought I was a model prayer. But maybe I'm just a very, very small example of the real thing. So it's a great relief for me this morning. With all the struggles that I've had with prayer and praying in my own life, it's such a relief uh, for me this morning to find those verses that Paul begins this section of, of prayer, not with a statement about how good he is at praying, not even with a command that we should pray more, but actually with an acknowledgement that it is hard to pray. These were his opening words. In our weakness, we do not know how to pray. We do not know what we ought to pray for. So Paul is very upfront, and I find that positive and encouraging to say this morning that as we come to think about prayer, it comes out of our weakness. We start at those places in our lives where we feel most weak and vulnerable. And, and maybe one of the reasons why we don't pray more is actually because of the confusion in our heads. We actually say, I don't know where to start, I don't know where to begin. Uh, what if it doesn't get answers? What if it all goes wrong? Uh, so, so I kind of put it all off. And Paul says, come from that place. Uh, because that's where true prayer starts. Our weakness is a reason for praying, not an escape for not praying. Do you see that? And Paul says, just do it. I think one of the tasks that I have perfected in my life is, is the fine task of task avoidance. And I know that there's something absolutely important that I must do now. And suddenly before I do it, I have that overwhelming urge that I must have just another cup of coffee. Or I suddenly see uh, that my pencils are so blunt. (laughs) 
and just need sharpening now because nothing else uh, matters. And so with, so with prayer. Oh, yes, time to pray. Oh, but I must just... And then, even, even when I do pray, uh, my mind suddenly gets taken in, in all sorts of other directions. Is, is it, is, am I speaking for, just for myself? Or am I, are you, am I carrying you with me? And it, it's just so good to know that down the ages we're not alone uh, with that. The, 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 the lovely Christian poet John Donne said this in his diary. I throw myself down in my chamber... And I call in and invite God and his angels thither. And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. So if we can pray, says Paul, we must pray when we're weak. Paul also says that we can pray when we are confused. We don't know often what to pray for. Lord, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure what you're saying. I'm not sure where I am at this. So I won't pray. And again, Paul says, that. no, no, that's exactly the reason why you should pray at those very moments. And Paul says, back to the verse that we used right at the start of the sermon, uh, service. We can pray even when we don't know what words to use, or even at those moments in our lives where words just escape us, and all we've got is groans, something deep within us crying out to God, which we can't even put into words for ourselves. Paul speaks, doesn't he, in that passage, of groans that words cannot express. So, so what do I take from all this? Well, here's uh, Pete Gregg uh, uh, speaking as part of the prayer course. I know lots of groups have used it and found it helpful. But here's just a tiny ex- uh, excerpt from uh, one of his sessions. When we come to God and say, God... I find this prayer thing difficult. He responds by helping us. That's what the book of Romans says in Romans 8, 26 and 27. It's the most beautiful assurance. The Apostle Paul says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Maybe you feel like that sometimes. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So right now, even when you're watching this, The Spirit of God is interceding for you with wordless groans. And then it goes on. And he who searches our hearts, he knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. One of the times in my life when God spoke to me clearest, I learned a great deal about prayer. I was walking down the street near my house and God said to me, look at that tree. It was as simple as that. And it was so clear that I just froze and stared at this tree. I thought maybe this is going to be my burning bush moment. Maybe I'm going to have some great epiphany or I'm going to save someone's life. But as I stared at the tree, absolutely nothing happened. People were looking at me weirdly, thinking I was having some kind of episode. 
And eventually I thought maybe God had got distracted with events in the Middle East or something. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm staring at the tree. What happens now? And God then said to me this, why do you get so intense about everything? Why can't I just say, look at that tree. I'm pleased with that tree. I thought that was a great tree. Why does it have to mean anything more than that? So it was very weird. It was the most underwhelming epiphany of all time. But I found myself saying to God, good job on the tree, Lord. (laughs) That is significant, I believe, because your prayer life is going to be at its best, not when you're praying the big prayers occasionally, but when you're praying the small prayers continually. If you want to live your life with greater gratitude, learn to pray about small things, especially inevitable things like give us this day our daily bread when the supermarket is full of the stuff. Then you get to give thanks to God all the time. People say to me, should I pray for a parking lot at Walmart on a wet Saturday? And I say, absolutely. Because then if you ask God for a parking space and you get one, you give thanks to God for a patch of concrete. And then they say to me, well, would you have got the parking lot space if you hadn't prayed? I don't know. Ask the theologians. All I know is if you pray about small things, you get to give thanks to God for small things all the time. You live with greater gratitude. And there's another thing too. You know, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the evening before there was any sin or sickness or suffering in the world. So what did they talk to him about? Because most of what we tend to pray about are problems. People that are sick. People who need to get saved. Problems at work. They must have just said things to him like, nice tree, Lord. Good job with the giraffe. Let me tell you about my day. And one day there will be no more sin, no sickness or suffering in the world and there'll be you and there'll be God. So what will you talk to him about? We've got to learn to just pray about the small stuff. And there's another thing in this scripture about how hard we find it in prayer and how the Spirit of God helps us. Let me give an example. When one of my kids was really small and just learning to write, but he couldn't yet, he would draw all these little shapes on a piece of paper. And they didn't say anything. They were just nonsense. They were hieroglyphics. But we said, well done. And then one day he handed me one of these bits of paper with all these scribbles on it. And he said to me, Daddy, look what I wrote. And I said, well done. And then he said, could you read it? I didn't know what to do. I looked at the paper. It didn't make any sense at all. But then I looked at his face. And I thought about the weird little things that go on in his head. I thought about the kind of day he had had. And I had a guess at what the scribbles meant. And as I read the bit of paper, he nodded his head and said, well done. In prayer, it is not about the outward form, getting the right words. It is about the cry of your heart. The Spirit of God, Romans 8 says, interprets your heart. The Father looks at you. He looks at your face. He thinks about the weird little things that go on in your head, the kind of day you've had, and he interprets your scribbles, your groans, and even your tears. Pray about the small stuff, and learn to pray the way God made you, and he will interpret it into the greatest prayer of your life. So as you see from that clip, lying behind uh, Paul's Words is the, is the idea of the Spirit as interpreter uh, in a 
another world in several occasions in my life, I've, I found myself uh, speaking to uh, audiences where I've needed an interpreter. And I, I've, I've quickly learnt that actually what the audience hears is not what I'm saying, uh, but what the interpreter says I'm saying. And one of the earliest things I discovered is that you don't tell jokes through an interpreter. There's nothing that kind of dies more with the interpreter turns to you and said, what do you say? What? And you have to explain the joke to the interpreter before it comes. Don't go there. It, it dies immediately. But a good interpreter will not just translate the words. They will give the meaning and the understanding behind the words. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that what, is that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does with our prayers. Even with our groans, he understands what lies behind them and gives their meaning and understanding to God himself. So, as Pete says, we don't have to worry about how we pray or getting it right or what words to use, whether we use our own words or someone else's words. It doesn't matter as long as we just give them as our prayer to God. We don't even have to understand how God is going to answer our prayer. Sometimes we think prayer is about telling God how we want him to answer our prayer. And sometimes it may be. But actually, it can also be just saying, I don't know what you're doing, but here's the cry of my heart. And I give it to you. I don't have to explain anything to you, Lord, because you understand and see more than I understand and see. So again, from the prayer course, I think, although it may be slightly different, here's just a very, very, another short clip uh, from Pete Gregg. Okay. Three tips for prayer. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. That's it. Just keep it simple. Don't feel you've got to get too complicated. You know, Jesus told a parable explicitly saying that the snotty-nosed, weeping tax collector, just saying, Lord, have mercy, was heard by God, and the Pharisee with all the flowery language wasn't. So keep it simple. Just be honest with God. That's the second one. Keep it real. Don't feel you have to pretend with God. About half to two-thirds of the book of Psalms is lament. It's not happy-clappy, it's... God, why have you done this? And why isn't that working? And so we can afford to grieve and to even be angry at times in prayer. Tell God what you're really thinking, not what you think you ought to say. Keep it real. And the third thing is keep it up. Just persevere. Prayer is like stacking dominoes. And, and one day you pray the prayer you prayed a thousand times before and the whole lot comes down and the breakthrough happens. Not because it was a special prayer, just because you didn't give up one prayer too soon. And Jesus told a parable explicitly about that, saying you must keep praying and not give up. So keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. So for me, as I thought about this passage during the week, what I take from it is something that sets me free. And they're just kind of things that, that, that we've just heard. Uh, I know I can be simple. I don't have to be worried about getting it right. I know I can be real. I don't have to pretend 
say the right things, God can sort it out. And I know I can be honest because I can trust God to see and understand. And therefore, the, the Holy Spirit is, is, is almost like having a, a, a prayer partner that as I pray, the Holy Spirit is beside me as I pray, interpreting, understanding, lifting, revealing. And that's freeing for me. We're praying to the Father, but the Spirit is beside us as we pray. And because the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, sometimes that feels like Jesus being beside me as I pray. And therefore, maybe the, me speaking to an audience uh, with an interpreter isn't quite the, the right picture here. Maybe it's more the other occasions when I've needed an interpreter. And that is when I'm having a, a one-to-one conversation with someone, just, just me and them, but the interpreter. And, and again, the role of a good interpreter is actually to disappear so that almost through the interpreter we can have a heart-to-heart conversation of knowing and understanding. And I think that that's what Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit enables this deep heart-to-heart conversation with God, with him as interpreter, present in our prayers. And I know that when it comes to praying, my prayers, therefore, get caught up with what God is doing in the world. I know that somehow through the interaction between the Spirit and the Father, my prayers come into that. And my prayers therefore become part of doing the will of God. And that's why I believe actually our Sunday intercessions are one of the most important parts of our church life. Because Sunday by Sunday we bring our world, our situation, our needs before God. And we simply hold them there before God. God's people praying for God's will from the heart of God's world. And that's one of the great callings of the Church of God. That's why we're called a royal priesthood. The priest who stands before God on behalf of his people in all the world. So I'm I'm absolutely sure, and I feel it, that one of the biggest contributions that the church can make to our national life is simply to pray and to hold our nation before the face of God. And that's what we're called to do. Uh, When Justin Welby was appointed uh, Archbishop, Uh, he was uh, concerned to release more uh, prayer uh, into the life of our nation. So he called together a community, the community of St. Anselm, young people giving themselves a year to study, to reflect, to serve, but above all to pray. And he said this, I started the community of St. Anselm to give young people a profound experience of prayer, service and living in community. And they have a rule of life And one of the rules of life is to pray at different times during the day. And their statement says this, We deeply believe that many issues which are currently challenging the world find their future only in the guidance of the Holy Spirit 
and that prayer is the key to any effective action. And isn't that our calling? Whatever our, whatever our political views may be, simply come together in prayer and hold God's world before him. Isn't that what we're called to do? Here's, here's one of the slides uh, that went round uh, the world. Maybe you've seen it uh, already. Uh, these are two uh, World Cup uh, rugby pairs, one from New Zealand, one from South Africa, uh, R.D. Uh, Sevier and Cheslin Colby. At the end of the opening match, just they're both Christian, and at the end of the match, they knelt together in prayer on the pitch. And I think a lot of people criticised and said, well, why flaunt it? You can write your own caption. Maybe they were praying for England to lose, in which case their prayers weren't answered. But actually what I think they were saying, and what I take from it, is that there's a higher throne, even than the throne of the World Cup rugby challenge. And I love that picture, actually, that there is a greater throne. And there's something in this passage this morning which is deeply mysterious because what I think Paul is saying that there's an ongoing, loving, groaning, redeeming dialogue between the Father and Spirit. It's a conversation that's going on all the time between God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And what's happening is that we're drawn into that conversation and our prayers become part of the conversation of God himself. But the last thing I just uh, want to say uh, this morning is that I believe this prayer is a two-way process. Uh, when I speak out to God, I think God speaks back to me. And prayer isn't a monologue, it's a dialogue. And when I pray, your will be done, what am I praying? Lord, I want... Your will more than even I want my will. I want to know what you want, even if it isn't exactly what I want. I'm going to tell you what I want, but more than what I want is what you want. Lord, you know the longing in my heart. I'm going to speak it out to you. But actually, I want your will. And your will be done isn't, isn't an opt-out. It's an opt-in where we commit ourselves to understanding God's will. The number of Google searches uh, per day is a bit of a commercial secret, I understand. Uh, but the thought is that the average person, how many times do you Google during the day? The average person does three to four searches on Google during the day. And there are, around the world, 63,000 searches on Google per second. And Google understands the deep things of the world and reveals them to us not half as much as the Holy Spirit understands the good, deep things of God and makes them known to us. And out of this process, I believe, comes all sorts of uh, creativity. So I've just picked out a few things that, that just I've found in uh, the last few days that uh, have just released some sense of the Spirit's creativity in me. So can we just see Val's uh, story. What about this for a two-way understanding? I'm Val. 
I'm awaiting it, Dad. I did a challenge for Tearfan for my 70th birthday. I did 70 deadlifts and 70 kilograms in 70 minutes. challenge went brilliantly. I was really nervous and I thought I would really struggle but lots of people came down to the gym and encouraged me so I think my adrenaline was really high and I just went for it. Um, my name's Andrea Thompson and I'm the world's strongest woman. When I saw that she was actually doing the challenge I was really surprised, really supportive of her as well and she's actually one of my influenced people that I talk about. She's awesome. She always gives her all and puts everyone else before herself. Well, all sorts of creativity. Let's hear it for the 70-year-old women amongst us because I've got another one. Uh, this is Jill, Jill MacDonald. I'll read from her press release in a minute. Uh, but she's for a long time been um, a, a member of a really beaten-up church on a really tough estate and graffiti all over the walls and everything. And somebody had the idea of asking her to be minister in charge of this beaten up church. She's not ordained, but she uh, took it on. And um, I, I just want to read from the Church of, England, uh, Church of England press release, because otherwise I'm going to get in severe difficulty if I don't. This glamorous 70-year-old with purple hair and a flair for interior design decided to take the church on. And so she applied for grants and redecorated the church. The press release denies that the purple colour of the sanctuary wall is specifically designed to match her purple rinse. She says that's not true, although it's widely held that it is true. And part of the design was to put purple chandeliers in the ladies' toilets. And it's brought the church to life. And people are flooding in, and it's, uh, and it's being used, and it's getting new life. That's part of the creativity of the Holy Spirit. Let me finally just tell you about my friend Bill, who I was with. Bill's wife died two or three years ago. He's got a townhouse, uh, three floors, and he was feeling that he didn't know what to do uh, with the house. And a friend came over, and they were just praying, and suddenly the... The prayer, the, the, the Christian who was praying with, uh, with Bill went into sort of free flow and said, I think the Lord is saying something about your house and wanting you to do something about it. And Bill thought, okay, it's time for me to move. But he said, Lord, what am I meant to be doing about my house? Uh, the following Sunday, the youth leader came up to uh, Bill and said, look, I I'm about to go on maternity leave and I don't know where the midweek youth group is going to meet it needs a new home. About 20 or 30 people meeting midweek. And Bill says, I know. I know a home. And what you don't know, but I'm going to tell you, is that Bill is a retired secondary head. And so he knows young people. He understands them. He understands their parents. And he said, I know where the home's going to be. And a whole new house 
has arisen in, in Bill's house. The parents come early. He serves them supper after school. And a whole new thing has been released. That's the creativity. That's the move to the what if of prayer. One of the big what ifs, one of the big potentials of prayer facing us at the moment is the what if of our new appointment. The advertisement's just gone out. Uh, In these baskets are a mixture of acorns and horse chestnuts. I wonder if you'd just like to pass them round and maybe take either an acorn or a horse chestnut and hold them in your hand. So, what are you doing is holding in your hand a what-if potential. Because what you're holding in your hand is either an oak tree or a horse chestnut. What if the potential is in your hand? And so I'm going to ask you just to maybe hold it in your hand this morning and just pray your what-if prayer for yourself. What if? What is the potential that the Holy Spirit is asking of me this morning? What is here before me? And then I'm going to lead us together, just quietly. The advert's just gone out for the new appointment. And so I'm going to pray a what-if prayer for us all as a church, for the future of our church. So just a moment, maybe, just to hold your own potential in your hands this morning and make your own response to God. And maybe let's join in the silence just praying secretly, quietly from our own hearts the what-if prayer for our church and its future as the advert goes out. Lord, you've heard the cry of our hearts this morning. And we pray that by your Spirit you would release the potential of your kingdom in our lives and in our church. Your will be done for your name's sake. Amen. And David is just going to share with us how we may further build on what if praying for the life of our church. Um, I don't know where you are on your if-only or what-if journey. But in order to move from one place to the other, we have to get engaged personally. We have to take it and make it our own journey. Uh, And I believe that as a church, as we're facing this uh, vacancy, we need to get involved in it. Uh, And we're going to have the opportunity to do that in a day of prayer. But I am not a heartless person, so I've made it easy. We're splitting it in two. And we're having two half days of prayer. Uh, And it's even easier because you may want to be in church. You may want to be at home or wherever you are. That's absolutely fine. 
So we're going to designate two specific days, Friday the 8th of November and Friday the 22nd of November, from 9 in the morning to 9 in the evening. I am not expecting you to pray for 12 hours. It would be lovely uh, if you did, but you may not wish to. So I've split the day on these sheets of paper down into half-hour slots. If you can simply sign up to half an hour, put it in your diary, uh, and say in the, the final column whether you will be in church or whether you'll be away from church. I only do that because in the evening period, if everyone wants or, or signs up to saying, I want to pray and I want to be in church, then we'll open the church. If everyone says, no, I'd prefer to do it from home, then we won't because obviously that takes more manpower. But we've done it on a Friday because from nine in the morning until at least sort of 12.45, one o'clock, uh, Heather will be here anyway. So the church will be open uh, and it will be available. This is our opportunity as a church to make that what-if statement uh, and to sign up for this journey together, laying it before God, it, even in silence, because we may not know what to pray, but it is simply putting it before God that we need his help, we need his guidance, and we want his spirit to lead us in this process. So that's Friday the 8th and Friday the 22nd.